Um, we have got a special treat for you this morning. Um, not only do you get to hear me preach a little bit, which is not the treat part, believe me, that's the, you have to endure that part, but uh, uh, we have some special guests with us today. Teresa Dunlap from uh, On Time Ministries and uh, Victoria uh, from On Time Ministries, and I think there's some other ladies out there uh, are coming today to share with us what's going on over there at On Time Ministries. And it's always a privilege to have them. It's, uh, it's exciting to partner with people who are in the trenches. Amen? Amen. Uh, people who not only uh, go to church, but people who are the church, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I want you to welcome Teresa and the team to come on up and share with us this morning. God bless you. God bless you, Teresa. Welcome. Thank you, Dennis. Wow. Well, I, this is the first time I've been in your new church. It is so beautiful. I know you guys are, are so grateful for it, and you're so blessed to be able to sit here in this lovely sanctuary. The other church was, was nice as well, but it's nice to outgrow one, isn't it? God is so good. So um, I see some new faces here. I know we've been, On Time Ministry has been here to your church before, but since there's some new faces, I'm just going to briefly tell you what On Time Ministry is about. Um, just a few short years ago, um, 2013 is when On Time Ministry was founded. Before that, I was a third grade teacher here at Willow Springs, loved Willow Springs School, still love Willow Springs School. Um, and then God, uh, we were pastoring Bluebuck Church just out 76 Highway, and then God called us to um, do what we can to assist survivors of human trafficking on their journey to recovery. So what we do is we rescue, restore, and empower survivors of human trafficking. That's our mission. And uh, human trafficking is right here in Willow Springs. It is everywhere. Um, just so you know, when we first heard about human trafficking, we thought it was out of the country, which it is. It is, but that's what we thought we were called to is ministry out of the country. Our first home was open in 2013 in Juarez, Mexico, and it is still up and running. Uh, we have a couple of young ladies there that have babies there, and they're, they're teenage young ladies, and so we're on the prevention in there. There's a couple of older young ladies there that have been with us from the beginning, and they're doing very well. Um, so on... Uh, it's called Hogar de Gracia, and that's up and, and, and still doing great. Um, then in 2015, we opened um, what we call Cedar Mountain in Mountain Grove, and you all are, were instrumental in um, doing lots of stuff there, <laughs> um, painting and plastering, putting uh, texturizing on walls, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, Cedar Mountain has been open since July of 2015, and it is full. We've had some changes there. Last time we were here... I told you, um, we, we shared with you that we have a house mom. Her name was Debbie. It still is Debbie. Her name still is Debbie. Um, <laughs> she was with us for two years, and her parents are elderly, and she needed to go back to Tennessee to take care of them, and it was really tough. So um, and last summer, um, we told her, you know, we release you. We know family has to come first. So she went back home to take care of her parents, and the month of August was somewhat intense. We had a house full of girls and no house mom. And also we had girls in Houston where I'm living at the house that we opened in 2017. I'll tell you about that in a second. But so here we said in looking at August, house full of girls, no house mom. And we kept saying, God's got this. We knew God had it, 
but I had no idea what he was going to do. And it was by faith, we just kept moving forward. So with me and Victoria that you're going to meet in a little while, and the girls that are living in the house, and some of our volunteers, and a few staff members, we just rallied together, and somehow made it through the month of August. Well, what God was doing is, we had met this couple, their name is Jeff and Tracy. Um, Jeff is a minister, and Tracy is uh, about five foot tall, maybe 100 pounds, retired military couple. And uh, we had met them for another purpose. Well, they're our house parents now. Um, So he had this plan. We knew he had the plan. We just didn't know what it was. It would have been nice if he would have told me. So I didn't, you know, have to just, you know, by faith speak it and at night cry myself to sleep. But, (laughs) But so that's his plan that he had. And what a beautiful plan it was. They've been there since September. And it's above and beyond really what I was praying for and believing for. I just prayed, God, please send us another house mom. But he had more planned house parents. And what a beautiful picture that has been for the girls there. They have the mom and dad experience. You know, you mess with mom a little bit. Mom's going to correct you. But when dad steps in, it's, it's game on. And he does that in a very gentle, loving, firm way. And being retired military, they get a lot of discipline. And the girls love them. They love them and they see them as mom and dad, which, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. So Cedar Mountain is running. They're directing that home and they're running it. And it's, it's where we felt like Cedar Mountain has needed to be from since 2015. We knew this is where God was going to bring us with that. It's just been a journey and that's where we're at now. So Cornerstone is the house in Houston. And we opened it in 2017, June of 2017. It has five bedrooms. The one in Mountain Grove has seven bedrooms, by the way. One in Houston has five bedrooms, and we've done different things with it. We're still praying about what's God got for that building. So right now, Victoria and I are there. Um, that's where we're and we're operating the ministry from Houston um, there, making connections in the community, and still praying and believing for whatever God's got. If he's got house parents um, planned, then that's awesome. If not, we're just going to keep walking through it. So um, we've had it, like I said, we had it full at times with girls who've done well and they've moved forward and they've come over there and lived and that worked well for a while. So we're just being obedient. So you know that you can tell how well a ministry is doing by the fruit, right? So I have a little fruit to share with you today. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Victoria. She is a survivor. Um, She's not someone that you need to waste a moment feeling sorry for. Um, she is very bold and very empowered, which is at the end of what we see as rescue all the way to empowerment with these young ladies. We want them to know who they are in Christ. And that's the journey that we are honored to go on with these young ladies. She's been with us for almost three years. Um, some of you know her story. She was rescued uh, right here in, outside of Willow Springs, just a few miles from this church. She was trafficked in the woods. Um, right here locally. So um, just to let you know, um, we do do things out of the country, but we're very active right here in our hometown of Willow Springs as well. So I want to introduce to you Miss Victoria. Hey, everybody. Okay, how many people have heard my testimony? Oh, sweet. Okay. Well, for the, like, very few that didn't, um, I was labor trafficked and somewhat sex trafficked in the woods. I was a slave to a man for 19 months. Um, I learned how to survive out in the woods. I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually gone. Just, there was nothing left in this little girl. Um, so, um, today I'm going to tell things a little bit differently. I'm going to tell the story. 
I'm going to tell a story from a baby's perspective. If a baby could talk, this is what this baby would say. Will this move if I... Oh, okay. Because okay. you know that happens, like you lean and then you just... Okay. Um, so once upon a time, there was me. I was born. And um, my mommy loved me. She, she took care of me. She nursed me. She, um, she provided everything that I needed um, for about six months. And towards the end of the six months, mommy kept disappearing and... I don't know what she was doing. Um, not shortly after, somehow, mommy was gone, and I don't know what happened. And daddy started taking care of me by himself. Well, a couple months later, um, daddy started disappearing, and I didn't know where daddy was going. And I was left at trap houses um, with no food, sitting in dirty diapers for days at a time. Um, I got scabies on my skin from lack of being taken care of. And so one day this, the, these people showed up and um, it was DFS and they took me to a home where I was introduced to my new parents. And um, I'm now still in that loving home. Those are my parents. These are my parents and I love them and they're Christians and they take me to church and I'm being raised the way that I should be raised. And I will have a good life now. That's the story of my son. And um, my son's four years old today. Um, in a couple of months, he'll be five. But, you know, while I was going through all that, that's what my son was going through. And so that's a different perspective. You know, things that we do, they affect other people. And even though Samuel didn't understand, that's my son, what I was going through or um, what his dad was going through or anything like that, it affected his life. But how many of y'all know that God is so much bigger than what the enemy has planned? And my son is in that home and I'm not trying to get him back, which is hard to, hard to grasp as a mother. You know, it's like, well, don't you want your baby? Yeah, well, I want what God wants more. That's a consequence that I have to live with. But he's in a Christian home and because of that, I'm able to travel all over the place. I've shared my testimony with thousands of people, women, children, youth groups. And that's what God's calling me to do. And even though, you know, that's not with my family in North Carolina, my son and my, my mom and my brothers and sisters, I'm okay with that. Jesus said um, in the New Testament, I don't know where it's at, but he said that he came to call people away from their families. And that doesn't mean everybody has to go from their family or that it's a bad thing. It just means sometimes, you know, sometimes people have to be separated from their families and, and that's okay. And they're there's an unexplainable peace that I have about it. You know, I used to cry all the time. I couldn't even be around children. But God has healed me of that. And I'm so blessed that he's in a Christian home and he's well taken care of. So um, I'm going to show you guys this picture. It's not super, I mean, you can just show it. Okay, so this picture was taken just, I was in the middle of being trafficked. And um, 
this girl is dead. She doesn't, she's not alive anymore. But that wasn't a wig, or that wasn't real hair. That was a wig. This is real hair, just so you know. Um, but that was not real hair. My hair was extremely short. I'm about to show you a video where you can see it. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about this girl. This girl went out to the woods, got mixed up with some really bad people, started doing witchcraft. Because if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's who I was surrounded by. I was surrounded by um, wizards and witches and crazy people in the woods. And um, was, you know, these books were being thrown in front of me to read it. And I'm going to tell you right now, if someone walked up to me right now with a witch book today, I would take it, I would rip it in half, I will burn it and say, you know, you take your crap other where I know who's alive and that's Jesus Christ. So you're not going to get me with that. But at that point, I didn't know any better. I was hurt. I felt lonely. I felt bad because I had abandoned my, just everything. So I was, do, so this girl did witchcraft. She hated her family. She didn't care about anybody's feelings. She didn't care about herself. She didn't care what she looked like. She didn't care what people thought of her because at this point, which is very close to right before I was getting rescued, I had been told so many negative things about myself. I didn't even feel like a human being anymore. I thought that I was worthless, dirty, ugly, unattractive, inside and out, um, never going to be anything, never amount to anything. Nobody cared about me. Um, the man that enslaved me said, I cursed the ground that I walked on. He said, I curse the ground that you walk on all the time with his little weird witch stuff. And so um, I thought that this was going to be my life, that I was going to be in somebody else's, some other man's kitchen, cooking for a whole bunch of men. And I know it's, it's weird to think of it like this, but I was pretty much like Snow White. Like I was just dragged around to all these houses, cleaning up after all these nasty men, and that was what my life. But um, that's not what God had planned. And I'm going to tell you there was some kind of hope in me while I was out there um, that kept arising. And every time it did, he would take it from me. But this, this next thing in a second that she's going to show, it's a video. There's no sound up here, but I'm going to tell you what I said. It was about eight days before I was rescued. And I had taken a video because I was allowed to have a phone that didn't have any service. It didn't work. I couldn't call out. You, you don't have to show it just yet. And um, thank you. And so I didn't know when I was going to be drugged, how many days I would be out, if I would remember where I was or what I was doing when I woke up. And so when I took this video, I was saying, I just got off the phone with uh, Samuel's parents. He's, at, he's not home from daycare yet. It's June, I think I said 11th or something like that. Um, I told myself what day it was. And I said, you're about to go grocery shopping. And you're going to do everything that you can to get your son back and be a good mom. And there was this little bit of hope that aroused inside of me when I, when I spoke to his parents. So, um, and I said, don't forget that. But when you see this video, you can play it now. Um, my, my hair, I just didn't have any hair. My jaws have been so jacked up, just pull, pulled around by him and drugs and everything. I could barely even talk. And, um, and I didn't know, you know, where I was going to be. And so that's just so you can get a picture of, of what the enemy had planned 
Um, but that's not what God had planned. So everything that I'm sharing with you guys today has to do with God's love. This next picture is what God had planned. Um, I got to see my son. I get to see him, you know, a few times a year. And I used to not, you know, I used to not even care. So when I became a Christian, my life was completely turned around and God healed my mind. The last day that I was in the woods, I cried out to God and I asked him, I said, if there's, you know, if you're real, I have one request. Let me see my family before I died. I had maybe a couple weeks to live um, based on the physical world, lack of food, um, sleep deprivation, drugs. Sleep deprivation will kill you faster than drugs or, um, or lack of food will. You can't go long times without sleep. It, your body shuts down. And so I knew all of those things going on at the same time. I maybe had a couple weeks. So my request was to be able to see my family one more time before I died. Well, God heard my prayer. I was rescued. I've seen my family probably five or six times, and they're all the way on the coast, and I have my health back, and I have my own business, and I'm an ambassador for a ministry, and my life is just, I mean, this is just the beginning. I'm writing a book. I'm, I'm, I'm living the life that I couldn't have even dreamed of before. And I only had one request, that I could see my family before I died. So, you know, when you ask God for something, he says he will do exceedingly more than you ask or think according to his work within you, by his power within you. So, ask. He says ask and you'll receive ask for what you want he's still going to do more but he still wants you to ask the next picture is um of my family that i used to hate (laughs) this is my i'm the oldest of seven kids that's all my brothers and sisters except for the really tall handsome mexican in the back he's married to one of my sisters um but other than that that's my family my mom's in there too but god has restored and what this picture says guys is God's love. You know, God's love is unconditional. But you want to know what else God's love is? God's love is fierce. It's ferocious. It's untamable. It's unstoppable. It's vicious. It's 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 destructive to the enemy. There's so much power in love, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving love is the key to to unlock doors. Jesus went to hell. And he snatched the keys from... How many of y'all have seen Tarzan, the real one? Seriously, nobody's seen Tarzan? You don't have to be ashamed. It's an awesome movie. Okay, so not very many people. Well, Tarzan is like this super tall, strong, awesome guy that just swings through the trees. And at the end of the movie of Tarzan... He is trying to find his wife because the enemy has captured his wife um, in order to get Tarzan, you know, and kill him and everything. So he knows Tarzan's going to come after his wife, right? So they are at the end of this near the ocean, and Tarzan starts walking the opposite way. And, you know, his friend's like, where are you going? And he's like... I'm going to get some friends. So he comes back with an 
like an army of buffalo and tigers and, and lions and cheetahs and, and all these animals that just stampede the whole army, the, the enemy's army, just stampede them all, killing them all, knocking them all out. And then he like jumps through these falling buildings and dives in water with all this crap like coming on top of him. And he swims and he you know, does a mating call so the alligators will eat his enemy. And then his wife's standing there and she's like, you know, where is he at? She's on the dock. She's like, where did he go? You know, Tarzan, where are you? And, and, and then she just stands there and, and you just see this look of peace on her face because tar- she knew her husband was right behind her. And when I, I actually watched that last night and I'll tell you why I'm telling you all of this. And you're like, we're in church. Why are we talking about Tarzan? Um, but that is Jesus to us. He fights like that for us. He is jumping through buildings. He is diving in the water. He's got, and he's right there behind you, just holding you tight. You know, we like to think of the ooey-gooey stuff a lot, and that's wonderful. I love to just awe and jump around and prance and skip because Jesus loves me. But, you know, the enemy is out to get us. He's out to destroy us. He's out to take us down. He's out to separate you from your loved ones. He's out to... We have an enemy. We are at war. You know, we are in battle constantly. And so when we look at a situation, we need to see, you know, if we have a problem with somebody, is my problem with them? No, it's with the enemy. So it's like, all right, devil, me and you got an issue because you're getting in between me and my loved one and it ain't happening. So we're going to talk this out and then you can go because you're not welcome here in Jesus' name. You know, you can go to hell and you can stay there. And I'm sorry I said that. That might be wrong or something, but that's where he needs to go and that's where he needs to stay. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, so sometimes we need to think of God's love more than just unconditional and and how fierce and engaging and, and unstoppable. I mean, his love is powerful. And so if you go home with one thing today, know that, You know, this is about sharing what our ministry is doing. This is what the ministry is doing. I mean, not physically, but it is making me strong because I work out, y'all. But that's not what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) um, it, It, what they do when girls first get there is they love them. I was a girl that had zero self-confidence and I didn't know who I was and I didn't know even what my favorite color was. I didn't know anything about myself. But I'm going to tell you, through them loving me day by day, through my ignorance and silliness and where's Victoria? Oh, she's in the top of a tree. Um, Please come down, baby girl. You know, take your headphones off when you're up in a 30-foot tree, please. And, you know, just letting me be me and letting me heal the way I needed to heal. You don't mess with me today because I've got Jesus with me. It has nothing to do with this girl, you know, but I know who I am in Christ. I'm a princess of God. So watch out. You know what I'm saying? That's how you know you are prince and princesses of God. You don't need to be with some guy that's cussing all the time and that doesn't open the door for you. Excuse me. You're a princess. Okay. You need a man that's going to treat you like a princess. And, And men, you know, God has... God has equipped you with everything that you need to be, the husband that you need to be for your wives and the daddies that you need to be for your children. And it's not easy sometimes, you know. Kids, we're, you know, kids are hard sometimes. But um, God is good. And he gives us what we need to do what we need to do every day. And then, you know, for the times that we are weak, because those days come, hey, honey, 
I'm I'm weak today. I'm going through it. Can you just pray for me today? Because I'm going through this and I don't have strength to do it. And if you're not married, you know, a friend. I, you know, I, I go to Teresa because I'm not married. <laughs> and sorry, Teresa, but she gets all, she gets to care, do all that for me, carry all that. But we, God puts people in our lives for a reason. You know, secluding ourselves doesn't work. Um, thinking that we can do everything on our own doesn't work. God made us to need each other, to love, to want each other, and to love each other. And so, you know, um, one thing that I do every single morning that I want to challenge you guys to do, this lady told me to, to start doing this every morning. And um, it was probably a year and a half ago. And she said, when you wake up in the morning, ask God for his favor, his wisdom, and his anointing to be all over you and all around you today. That takes three seconds, guys. And I'm telling you, it has changed my life. Favor, wisdom, anointing. Y'all say it with me. Favor, wisdom, anointing. And God will, because he does. He does what you ask him to, especially those things. You know, that pleases his heart. And he's not out to please your heart. He's out to please his own heart. And it pleases his heart to make you guys pleased. So, anyways, God is good. He's doing amazing work through this ministry. Um, The doctor said don't invest anything in this girl when I first got there. And as of today, I've been there longer than any girl that's ever gone through the program. Um, I'm not the first girl. I mean, I'm not, I am the first girl that's been here this long, but I won't be the last. What this ministry is doing is we're taking it a different route. Instead of going wide and, and shallow, we're going, we're going, um, short and steep like a well. And so the girls that are there right now, they're enrolled in college. They're, um, one of them is join, is planning on joining the Navy. She's already taken her ASVAB. She's talking about, she's already talked to the recruiter. I mean, um, and they have full-time jobs. And so this is something that we want to invest everything in every single girl. And and what that looks like is making sure they make it all the way. When when we walk out of this house, we're going to be like, watch out, world, because I know what I'm doing. I'm ready to go. I'm not worried about what I can do or what I can't do. I've been taught. I've been trained. And I know Jesus is with me. And so, you know, that's the goal of, that's the mission of our ministry. And so thank you for having us. Thank you, princess. Amen. I, uh, I hate Satan. I hate him. I hate the, everything that he does to people. But I love Jesus. I love everything that he does for people. And I love people who love Jesus. Amen. Because we are the light of the world. We're the hope of the world, according to scripture. Amen. Satan's never going to let up. Okay, Ever. He's always going to do mean and nasty things like that to helpless people. We're never going to stop that in this life. But Jesus has strategically placed all of us in our world and in our life and in our circles to uh, do something about it. Amen? And to uh, soften the blow and to try to bring people out of that. Because there's no hopeless situation. It's just not. I can't imagine. You said a doctor said, don't waste time on this girl. He needs a good cuffing on the back of the head in the name of Jesus, right? Nobody is beyond, beyond hope. And uh, what a privilege it is. Thank you, ladies, for, for coming. And, and if you have more to share, by all means, uh, uh, crank it up here. I mean, I want to share something with you from Scripture. Um, 
If you turn in Matt, and sorry, Jennifer, I didn't get this to you in time. We, uh, there was a MoDOT truck flipped across our road this morning, and I didn't know it until we were on our way to church, so we took the long way around. And so uh, uh, my, normal course of, um, my normal course of Sunday kind of got messed up. So Matthew chapter, number nine, chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, we start reading verse 35. Can everybody hear me all right? On that note... Our, uh, as you can see, our new sound system did not come in again this week, so bear with us as we make do with the old junkie one. Matthew chapter number 9, uh, verse number 35. I want to read down through verse 38. And, and as, I, as I talk about this this morning, I want you to keep in mind everything that Victoria um, and Teresa just got done saying. Uh, for one thing, I normally don't say much when they're here, but there was, there was a thought, a word, really more than anything, uh, that was just stirring in my heart and my mind uh, throughout this week. And so I asked Teresa, I said, if you don't care, I'd like to save me a little time. I want to uh, talk about this word. And I didn't really have a whole lot of scriptures. I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the week, there were some things that come about. And I, I just want to share these things with you um, in relation to what they just got done talking about and and what your responsibility is in not just their ministry, but in your ministry, okay? Because you've heard, if you've heard it before, we've said it a lot, especially as preachers, that we're all ministers, right? No Christian can sit back on the pew and say, well, I'll let the ministers handle this. We're all ministers because I don't go in the same circles you go in. I don't travel the same roads you travel. Uh, I want to talk about this one word this morning, and that's compassion. It's something that the world needs more than anything in the world. So in Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction. Look at this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Okay, so Jesus here is faced now with the reality of the world, okay? Now, any of us can put on our rose-colored glasses, and we can cram our head down in a hole in the sand and pretend like the world is a beautiful and a pretty place. But we all know in this place, especially based on the testimony we just heard, that's not true, right? You've heard me say this before, that being a Christian is a bed of roses. It's a beautiful thing, being a Christian, but we have to take the thorns along with it. Along with it becomes the, the pricks and the bleeds and the pains, and we travel this road together. No Christian is an island. Nobody stands alone and goes through life all by themselves. We are all in this thing together, okay? So we have a responsibility. Jesus sees a, a picture of the world as it really is, a world in need of compassion, like sheep that don't have a shepherd, okay? And you don't have to be an expert in sheepadom. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. Uh, to know that sheep are dumb, okay? And, and sheep can't take care of themselves. Sheep must have a shepherd that are there to make sure they have the food and the shelter and to take care of them. And Jesus looks at these people with just the lost looks on their faces. I dare you, go to the mall one of these days in, in Springfield. Go to Walmart in West Plains. Shoot, go to G&W here in Willow Springs. Go somewhere where there's a lot of people. Sit down and just watch, just watch people. Don't listen to their words, okay? Don't listen to their words because we, we always come up with the right words, right? People say, how are you doing? I'm fine. It's not true, but that's what we say. So don't listen to them. 
And, and don't look at their smile, okay? Don't look at their smile because we all paint on a mask. We all paint on a smile so that nobody knows what's going on. I'm just saying sit and look and watch people when they're not around anybody else. Okay, when they're engaging other people, they're going to seem like everything's fine. Watch them when they're getting out of their car. Watch them when they're in, with their family. Look at the distressed, hurt, and broken looks on their faces. You have to want to see that, by the way. Because it's easier for us to get in the market, get what we want, get out, say hello, put our face mask on, and then just go on our way. But if you stop and really look, you have to look for it. You'll see the brokenness in people, and that's what Jesus saw. He sees this huge crowd of people that have gathered and they're, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're searching for something and they don't even know what it is. All they know is life stinks. All they know is I've got the raw end of the deal. All I know is this, this hurts and I, I need some help and so maybe this Jesus guy can, can do something about it. And he looks out at this crowd of people and it says simply as he looks at them, he was moved with compassion. Okay? Compassion, I don't have the Webster's Dictionary version of compassion. All I know is that compassion is love that is sincere. Love that means something. Love that springs you into action. A true concern for people and what they're going through. And that's what Jesus had. Moved with compassion. It's one thing to have compassion and have a little pity in your heart. It's another thing to move on it. Amen. And that's what God has called all of us to do. Jesus not only saw compassion, he moved on the compassion to do something about it. And that's what we're all as God's people and God's church are called to do. Amen. Not only places in scripture, obviously other places, Matthew 14, you don't have to turn to Matthew 14, 14. He went ashore, he saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew 18, 27, the Lord of that servant speaking about Jesus was moved with compassion, loosed him and forgave his debt. Mark 1, 40, 40 through 41, there came a leper to him, to Jesus, beseeching or asking him and kneeling down and saying unto him, if you will, Lord, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him and said, I will be thou clean. I want to encourage all of us to remember this morning that Jesus is willing to give compassion to those who need compassion. I get it. We, we don't always get everything we pray for. I understand that. That's not what we're talking about here this morning. He said, Jesus, if you will, if you, if you can, or if you will, I believe that you can touch me and heal me. And Jesus moved with compassion because the compassion of Jesus is always there regardless of the results of our prayer. Can I, can I encourage you with that this morning? Regardless of what the outcome is and whether it goes the way we think, Jesus' compassion is no less present. It's always present. Jesus moved with compassion says, yes, I will. Can I encourage you today to know that when we are in need of compassion, Jesus is always willing to give it. Amen? People aren't always willing to give it, but Jesus is always willing to give it. Now, there's a difference, a huge difference, actually, in giving a contribution and giving compassion. Okay? Anybody can make a contribution. You can give you can throw a dollar at anything. This is not just about money today, obviously. Contributions can be given even with a bad attitude. Okay? Oh, well, I guess it's a good cause. I'll contribute to that. I'll give a little bit of time. I'll cut that neighbor's wood. I know he's got a bad back. I really don't want to, but I'll do it. Okay, that's a contribution. You can do that with a bad attitude. That's not compassion. It's a contribution. Contributions uh, can benefit the giver more than they benefit the receiver. Amen? If we give, gosh, you could give 
half of your income. And if the purpose for that is to get a good tax write-off, then that benefits you more than the receiver. You, you get my point. That's just a contribution. That's not compassion. Contributions can ultimately be a cop-out. You know, I'll throw a dollar at something. I'll throw money at something so it'll just kind of go away. Right? I'll just do a little, whatever I got to do to just make this go away, then I don't have to get involved. I can kind of get back to my life as usual. That, those are all contributions. That's fine. There's, we need those. There's a place for that. Uh, but in order for something to be considered compassion, there are certain requirements that must be met. And I just want to talk about these requirements real briefly. I'm not going to hold you long today at all. I want to talk about what our acts have to meet the requirements they have to meet in order to be considered compassion on the level that Jesus operated in. Okay. Number one, compassion must be given with no strings attached. Compassion is, is given whatever that looks like. Again, it's sometimes it's giving money. Sometimes it's giving help. Sometimes it's being the shoulder to cry on. Sometimes it's rescuing a girl out of the woods and giving her a home, right? It's about compassion is a no strings attached work and act okay um not expecting any return favors if i do something for chris expecting well he'll i'll scratch his back and he'll scratch mine that's not compassion that's a self-serving act compassion says i am going to help them with absolutely no expectations of favors in return they may never be able to do something for me but i am going to help them because i love them and my heart is moved with compassion for them we got to be willing to do it at times um even even if they never come to church it's easy for us as, as church people we'll, we'll do outreaches and we'll, we'll give out acts of kindness and compassion we'll do all of these things uh in order to get people we want to grow the church we want to get people into church and we do want people to come to church this is where they can come and be discipled and grow and it's, it's important but what we got to understand as christians is that we may go through all of the work all of the labor all of the time and their hind end may never set foot and, and sit in one of these seats does that mean we failed no, if we go in and thinking, well, and, and I've, I've heard this, I've said this before, man, after all we've done for them, and they've never even come to church. That's not what it's about. That's not what compassion is about. They may never darken the door. And here's the biggest thing. Compassion has to come with no strings attached, even if that means we never even get a thank you. I would venture to say, there, there's probably a large percentage of compassion acts, things that people do out of the kindness of their heart. I bet, the, I bet we would venture to say the majority of those acts come without a thank you. And you know how it is. It's not that we're wanting a pan on the back, but when you do something for somebody, you think, well, it's at least good to get a thank you, you know. But compassion says, I'm going to do it for these people. I'm going to have compassion even if they don't appreciate it. Ain't that how we're geared? I ain't, if they don't appreciate it, I ain't going to do... That's not what we're called to do. We're called to give compassion with absolutely no strings attached. There's a lot of success stories. Steve and Teresa, they've given their heart <clears throat> with compassion, no strings attached. And we're so excited when we hear princess stories and, and, and the the victories, right, of people who are appreciative and take that compassion and run with it. And, and they're just so grateful. But Teresa, I would venture to say that there's a pretty good number of girls that have come through that place that weren't that appreciative. 
Does that mean they quit giving compassion? No, because it's a no strings attached type thing, right? We got to do it. We must have absolutely, I believe, no expectations for how people will respond or not respond. We venture into an act of kindness and compassion, number one, because that's the way Jesus did it. That's the way Jesus did it. He, he, Jesus moved with compassion as he looked at these crowds and as he looked at us. And he went to the cross for us knowing that a lot of people weren't going to appreciate that. Knowing that a lot of people weren't going to care, let alone accept him and follow him. But true compassion has no strings attached. It's great to get fruit for our labor. Teresa talked about that. I had this thought and when she said that, I was like, yeah. It's great to get fruit for our labor. What does that mean? It means when you do something, especially in regards to ministry, you, you do something for the Lord, you, you give an act of kindness or you, uh, you know, compassion, you commit to ministry, you, you're working and you're laboring in the kingdom of God and you see fruit from that. Somebody, somebody gets saved and not only do they get saved, but they're on fire for Jesus and, for, and have an ability to stand up in front of people and brag on Jesus. Okay. Victoria is Teresa's fruit and it's great to see that. And I'm, I'm thankful for all of the times in my ministry that God has allowed me to see some fruit. And there's times in, you know, things that you've done for Jesus and God has allowed you to see some fruit. Something that comes of it and you get to lay your hands on it. But sometimes, most of the time, folks, fruit takes time to grow. Right? You, you plant, you know, you plant a seed, you plant a fruit tree, it doesn't produce fruit the next day. Fruit takes time. And so sometimes we operate in compassion and we'll never on this side of glory ever see any fruit from it. So our compassion is not based on, our acts of compassion, not based on the return or, or, or the response or lack thereof. It's all about long-term fruit. Amen? I was talking to, uh, to somebody this week and we were talking about a certain man, I won't mention any names, but a certain man that lived in this community and he was known to be very rough and, and just lived his whole entire life, you know, rejecting God. And he came to this church for a little period of time um, before he passed away and he kind of disappeared, kind of fell off the map. I don't know what happened to him. I tried to do a little research. Never, I just never found him. And um, last I heard, he had, he had passed away. And I don't know, I don't know his story. I don't know how it ended for him. I really don't. I don't know of a time that he ever accepted Jesus as his savior. I, I don't know of a time. But what I know is this, that he spent about two months probably in this church, which was the first church he had been to in many, many, many years, if ever. Okay. He spent some time in this church. So I don't know the results I, in this life. I'm probably not going to, we're not going to get to as a church, see any, any fruit maybe, but I can't help but think about well, how great it would be that when, when I get to heaven, when this life is over, and to see that guy, right? I mean, I can't help but believe if it's not him, there will be other times and there'll be people in your life, you've shared just a small word, out of compassion, out of love, you wanted to see God do a work in their life and you share the gospel and you've never seen any fruit from it, but one day when you get to heaven, there's just liable to be somebody that comes up and says to you, if it hadn't have been for your testimony, if it hadn't have been for your church, if it hadn't have been for, you know, you that act of kind of you helped me when I needed help, I mean, whatever the case, that was the very thing that turned me to Christ, that's when the fruit's going to matter the most. Amen? Amen? Fruit for our labor is great. The fruit takes time to grow. Compassion, no strings attached. Compassion is, compassion has got to be willing. Now this one's going to be hard to swallow, so stay with me. Okay? Stay with me on this one. 
And think about it. Not from a natural perspective. Just think about it logically. True compassion has got to be willing to be taken advantage of if, if necessary. Now, we are not geared that way. Ain't nobody likes being taken advantage of. I helped you and you did that to me. It's not cool. I get it. But true compassion, the way Jesus did it, was that even if I have to be taken advantage of, I'm still going to give compassion. So let me just say this to you right off the bat. Count on it up front. I'm telling you right now. If you decide to live a life of compassion, you're going to get outside of yourself and start thinking about the needs of other people. I'm telling you right now, up front, there will be times you will be taken advantage of. I'm telling you as the pastor of this church, there are numerous times that this church has been taken advantage of. And I knew it. Okay? You can dog me for that if you want to. I knew up front we were going to be taken advantage of. But here's the thing. You can never go wrong by giving an act of compassion and kindness. We're always so worried about being taken advantage of. Poor babies. Poor us. We've been taken advantage of. We helped somebody and they did this and that and something else. Can I ask you a serious question? Which one of us, including myself, which one of us has never taken advantage of Jesus? Isaiah said it like this. He was, speaking of Jesus, he was wounded for whose transgressions? He was wounded for our sins. Bruised for whose iniquities? Ours. Bruised and broken, crucified for our sins. Did we not take advantage of Jesus? We all have. We've all taken advantage of him. Jesus said it like this. Now, you don't have to agree with this because I didn't say it. You'll just have to take it up with Jesus later in your prayer time. But Jesus said it like this. If somebody sues you to take away your coat, give them your cloak too. Somebody sues me. They're going to they're gonna take, let's make it real. I don't know. I'm just making this up off the cuff. Let's, take, let's make it real. My neighbor sue, sues me. We, we have a disagreement over our fence line. There's a 20-foot there's a strip of land. I think it's mine. He thinks it's his. He's, he sues me to take that 20-foot strip of land. Jesus said, give him another 20 feet. I didn't make it. I didn't say it. I promise. It wasn't me. Jesus said it. Blame him. Compassion is willing to be taken advantage of at times. Give him another 20 feet. Jesus said it ain't worth it. Jesus said something else like this. He said, if somebody compels you to go one mile... Go with them too. Do you know, you know what that means? You know what Jesus was speaking of? Uh, we don't think about this much in our day and time because it's not like this. But in, in Jesus' day when he said that, if somebody compels you or ultimately forces you to go a mile with them, go two with them. We say that all the time. People in secular say that all the time. Oh, go the extra mile. You know, you've heard people say that. that did you know that come from the Bible? Okay, most of us don't do it, but we know that that come, we don't even know it came from the Bible. But what Jesus is getting at when he says that is 2,000 years ago, you got to remember that the Jewish people were under the control of the Roman Empire. Okay, so there's Roman soldiers everywhere. I want you to imagine yourself being in Jerusalem. You're a Jewish person in Jerusalem and you are under the control of the Romans and there's Roman soldiers everywhere and you hate their guts. All you can think about is getting free from the Romans. I hate these Romans. These Romans are ruthless. We're God's people. We should be free. We don't, and all they could do is pray that God would get them out from underneath the Romans. But here was the Roman law, okay? If a Roman soldier, say he's got his big backpack and it's full of whatever, 
supplies and weapons and you name it. And the soldier is carrying this backpack down the, down the street and he's going to a certain destination. By law, a Roman soldier could pick anybody out of the crowd. Didn't matter. He could pick anybody that he saw fit and say, hey, carry my pack with me or carry my pack for me. And that person, no matter what they were doing, no matter what their agenda was, they had to drop what they were doing by law, drop what they were doing, take this soldier's big, heavy backpack and carry it one mile. That was the law. You can make anybody, you can't make them carry it more, but you can get anybody to carry your stuff for a mile. So Imagine a Jewish person, again, they hate the Romans anyway, and so here this Roman soldier says, hey, and I'm sure they weren't nice about it, they didn't say please. Roman says, hey, you scum, pick up this backpack and carry it for me. And they have to carry it a mile by law. Jesus says, when that happens, when this mean, nasty Roman soldier forces you to carry his stuff a mile, Jesus said, won't you go ahead and carry it another mile? Isn't that something? Because true compassion is willing to be taken advantage of if absolutely necessary. I'm sure there were people in Jesus' day too saying, yeah, you're a good one. Jesus, you're such a kidder. I don't think he was joking. I think he meant it. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy stuff. I'm not saying it's easy for me. I'm just saying it's Jesus stuff. This is the way he taught it. This is the way he said do it. Now, I get it. We have to be smart and we have to be wise. There comes a time, we see it in Jesus' day even, even, there does come a time when we have to change the way we help people. That's a true statement. Okay? Uh, Jesus, you know, fed the multitudes, gave them, fed their bellies, broke the bread and the fish, and he fed their bellies. And then we find later where that same crowd was following him everywhere because they wanted more food. Okay, and Jesus finally called him out on it one day. He said, look, you guys aren't following me anymore because of who I am. You're following me because I fed your belly. Okay, and he didn't feed him anymore. He gave him the word. He didn't, he didn't cast him. He didn't, he changed the way he helped them. They were taking advantage of him. The only reason they wanted him around was because of what they could get. Happens in every church everywhere. Some people only come with their hand out. It's the way that it is. Okay. So sometimes we have to change the way we help them. We don't keep shelling out money to people who abuse it and so on and so forth. But how about let's find a different way to help people like Jesus did. How many of you know that the, the best way to really show compassion and help somebody is with the word of God anyway, right? Our testimony and our willingness, I can't help you this way. I don't have any money. Silver and gold have I none, but let me help you this way. Hey Amen. Compassion's always going to find a way. Compassion's just never going to ride anybody off. I guess put it that way. Sometimes, yes, we have to be smart and change the way we help them, but we don't write anybody off. Jesus did. Thank God Jesus didn't write anybody off. I promise you he'd have ridden me off a long time ago. Um, compassion doesn't just come in the form of cash, by the way. Compassion isn't, I'm almost done, I promise. You with me still? This is important. Compassion is not a one-time event. It's culture. Okay? It's easy for anybody, any church, any Christian, any person can muster up enough Jesus to be compassionate for one day. So have a big a compassion event. We're going to give away food to the poor. We're going to do this. And we're going to have compassion for the day, right? That's good. That's fine. There's a, there's a time, there's a place for that. But, but that's not, true compassion is not a one-time event. It is a culture. It is a, a way of life. And that's the part that we have the most problem with. It's not something that we force ourselves to muster up 
just to get through an outreach event, okay? It's got to be an everyday way of life. Compassion is always there tomorrow, just like it is today. Understand that? Compassion is always there tomorrow, just like it is today. It's not, it's, here's the biggest thing, okay? Here's the kicker. And this is the part that I struggle with and probably all of us do. The compassion is, it's not only sharing Jesus, it's sharing yourself, okay? It's a culture, it's a way of life. It's, it's It's a life of servitude, Jesus said, I deserve to be served, but I came to serve instead of be served. So it's servitude. It's serving one another, sharing of ourself. It's easier to share Jesus than it is ourself, right? Compassion makes church, compassion is what makes churches effective, not church services. Okay? I'm going to say that again. It's compassion that makes a church effective, not its church services. Our church services are are great. They're wonderful. We need music, and we need worship, and we need preaching, and we need each other. We need to pray for one another. What we have as a a body is so very, very important. But if all we ever accomplish is good church services, then we've had good church services. Maybe we've done a little, but you can't really necessarily call it true compassion. True compassion is outward focused, not inward focused. A lot of our church stuff is, is inward focused. Most of our church service stuff is inward focused. I went to, uh, this, was, I, I did, this was not by design. God just worked this out. I went to Westside uh, yesterday for a rural, it's called rural, rural I can never say rural, rural compassion, uh, in which, it's, it's an organization that comes from Convoy of Hope, in which they, they literally, I mean, you can go over and look at our church base, basement, they loaded my truck down with, Supplies, food, paper towels, toilet paper, and just, just supplies. And their, their goal is to supply churches with this stuff so that the churches can get it to, like, maybe police stations and hospitals or whatever, that they can get it to people who need. It's kind of a chain reaction type thing, you know, building relationships, so on and so forth. And uh, it was interesting yesterday as I'm in this seminar, and they start talking. And again, I'm already gotten, I've already got this compassion stuff, you know, flow, flowing through my mind. And so they gave me some statistics that I, I found were kind of shocking um, and it was something like this, uh, 95% of church ministries are geared toward the mem- membership, okay? Things that churches do, events, outreaches, uh, um, retreats, any kind of ministry, a lot of times is geared more towards the church, the people that come to church, and less about the people who are outside the church, Okay, it's kind of a take care of your own type thing. And it's kind of backwards from what Jesus said. Jesus said, ultimately, that the 90 and 9 which is who you are, uh, the church people. The 90 and 9, you have to feed them, and they're important. We need to minister to the 90 and 9. But at some point, we have to stop thinking about the 99, the church membership, and start thinking about the people out there who don't know Jesus. The people who are lost, the people that are, whether they're, in sec, you know, in, whether they're uh, uh, trapped in human trafficking, or whether they're just a good old boy down the street that just finds life miserable. I mean, whatever the case, the, 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 the Jesus concept of compassion is that at some point we stop thinking about ourselves from within the church and we start branching out, right? 95%, man, it's good to have good church building, you know, I mean, stuff, but I, I, that needs to be at least, at least 50-50, amen? All right, we got to start thinking about, well, actually, no, I guess it doesn't according to Jesus. It needs to be 1% church and 99% reaching the lost, 72 churches in America close their, church, close their doors every week. 72 churches every week close the doors and stop being a church. Do you know what that means? It means the light gets a little dimmer. 
Every church that closes its doors, the light of Christ gets a little dimmer. That's a shame because the lighter or the dimmer the light of the church becomes, the less compassion there is in the world. Um, they ask this question. They ask this question. I want you to think about this, okay? If our church, think about it with us right here. I'm not talking about any other church. Our church. If our church ceased to exist right now, would our community miss it? If our church ceased to exist, would our community miss it? Wow, that was like a brick to the mouth. I, I just, I was sitting there thinking about that. We would miss it, right? I mean, if we just locked the doors and said, ah, no, forget it. We would all miss it because this church does a lot for us. I, I hope. Please throw me a bone if this church does anything for you. Thank you, thank you. I, pre- I appreciate the, the vote of confidence. I wanted to see some fruit. Sometimes you just got to see some fruit up front, right? But... Um, so we would all miss it, but would the community miss it? Are we so involved? Are, are we pouring compassion out of this place to such a degree that the community would suffer at a great loss if we weren't here? That's how effective the church should be in their community. Amen? That's my vision. That's my goal. What's that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. If, if, if churches were being that effective, they wouldn't close the door. There would be a need for it. Oh, we should be. I, li- I like this. This is something else I'm going to rip off from the, uh, from the, <laughs> the seminar yesterday. I love this. I'm going to use this a lot. Uh, it's called the cow pie theology. How many of you ever heard of the cow pie theology? Brandon has. Cow pie theology goes something like this. Church people are like manure. Some more than others. But no. Church people, all church people are like manure. Spread them out. And they help everything grow better. Pile them up and they just stink everything up. I said, what does that mean? Spread it out means we get outside the church. We take this that we have, this gospel, this compassion, and we get it into the world around us. Then we affect the rest of the world around us and everybody grows. But if we're all piled up in a church house and our compassion doesn't go any further than these walls, then we start to stink. We stink in the nostrils of God, I might say. And we begin to stink to one another. Amen? It's the world that needs the compassion. I brought a little visual aid up here. And I just broke it. But maybe you know what this is. It is a kite. You say, well, what in the world does a kite have to do with uh, compassion? I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm going to close. Um, in 1851, there was a gentleman that wanted to build a bridge across the Niagara Gorge, okay? We're talking about very, 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 very steep, very far across. Nobody get it. And this is 1851. There's no no cranes or helicopters or anything, but the guy says, I think we can build a bridge across this gorge so we don't have to go however many miles around. Everybody thought he was nuts. That is impossible. It's impossible. You can't do that. This This girl is, don't waste your time on her, Right? It's impossible. You can't build a bridge. So this is what this guy did. He, he had all of the young boys in the community, he, he opened up an invitation to have a, a kite flying contest. And all these boys lined up on this gorge and they get their kites up in the air. And the contest was the first person who can land their kite on the other side of the gorge will, will get the prize. So all these boys flying their kites and they're trying to land it. Finally, one boy lands his kite on the other side of the gorge. Now, 
where's the string? I mean, this is a kite string. And it's not very big. I could probably snap it just with my hands. I'm not going to try because if I don't, I'll be really embarrassed. <laughs> pretty, pretty small string. And so this kite string now goes from one side of the gorge to the other. But what they did is they took that one side of the string and they tied it to a tree. And then on this side, they took it off the kite and they tied uh, a bigger string. And they pulled that bigger string across. And then once they had that bigger string across, then they tied a rope to the bigger string and pulled the rope across. Then a bigger rope. Then they got big enough to where they could attach a cable to this bigger rope and they pulled the cable across and then they were able to a bigger cable and so on and so forth. And they kept doing that one rope, one string, one cable at a time until they were able to finally build a suspension bridge across this gorge. And this bridge, they say you could take a freight train across it. It was stout. It was sturdy. A freight train loaded down could cross this thing. They were able to do something absolutely impossible one string at a time, and that's the way compassion works. Compassion works one act of kindness, true compassion, not a contribution, but true compassion at a time. And the more we do it in our community, with our neighbors, with our friends, our loved ones, the bigger that bridge, that bridge compassion builds bridges. And it brings us closer, brings us closer to God, and it brings people closer to us which is something that is very important because a bridge goes both ways. When you build a bridge, you've got to be willing to cross it, but you have to be willing to let other people cross it as well. Do you know that that community, once that bridge was built, the economy boomed. They were, there was businesses that went up all over the place. People were putting up businesses, building houses, schools. You know why? Because now it was convenient. It was a convenient place to get from one side to the other. I mean, everything grew once the impossible was done, and it just started with one string. I mean, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, we as individuals grow, the more compassion grows within us. The more God can use us to bridge the gap between the lost world and salvation, the better, the better, more we, fulfilled we are. Amen? We've got to be a bridge. It, can't, it can be done. It's got to be done. Bridge equals easy access. Teresa has established a bridge to young ladies who are on the other side of the gorge. Okay? Life dealt them a blow. It wasn't their fault in the slightest bit. Maybe sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. It doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Whether it was somebody's fault. That's another thing, I guess, is that we like to, we like to say things like, well, they buttered their bread. You know, let them sleep in it. That's what it was. They, they, yeah, I like my way better. Uh, and that's true to a certain extent. I mean, you know, we, we do reap what we sow and there are consequences. I mean, that's, that's true. But, um, but goodness, again, if Jesus only got me out of the messes that I didn't get myself into, I'd still be in a lot of messes. Amen. We're bridging a gap here this morning. It can be done. It's got to be done. Everybody has their work to do. Teresa is bridging a gap out of compassion we as a church in this community are building a, bridging a gap not out of church works not out of religion not out of traditions and so on and so forth it's, it's, it's only compassion let me tell you something if we as a church grab a hold of compassion by its true definition this church cannot fail it can't it'll have the blessings of God on it it'll have the blessings and anything that's got the blessings of God on it will, will succeed amen amen